Welcome to my Dog Ate My Book Report, a podcast where two weirdo 30-somethings take turns introducing each other to a formative book from childhood the other has never read. I am W for Ren, they them, and I do not know why I read this book in elementary school. I'm B for Brandon, uh, he him, and I didn't read this book in elementary school. (laughs) No crap, that's the premise. We are today talking about Z for Zachariah. Oh, oh boy. All right. Here we go. The uh, little known sequel to uh, V for Vendetta. No. (laughs) That That is funny though. All right. Z for Zachariah is a 1974 novel about a 15 year old girl. She does turn 16 in the middle of the book, but I did really want to emphasize that a good chunk of the book takes place when she is 15. Not that it makes some of the stuff any better or worse than 16. Yeah. I'm going to start that over. Yeah. I mean, she's underage the entire time regardless. So yes, let's keep that in mind. Uh, her name is Anne, and uh, she has been living alone in a valley, seemingly the sole survivor of a nuclear event in America perpetrated by, quote-unquote, the enemy. They never actually say who the enemy is, which uh, rendered the area outside of the valley uninhabitable. After a year of living peacefully, an older man finds his way to the valley, shielded from the fallout by a safe suit. What happens next is a highly uncomfortable and aggressive struggle for control of the valley and its resources and control of Anne herself. It is an uncomfortable read. As such, the book itself has a lot of things I think need content warnings. It is a highly triggering book, which I had to put down myself many times. So content warning for the book itself and probably some of the things that we will be discussing. Attempted sexual assault of a minor. Guns and gun violence, apocalyptic events, and male violence slash aggression slash controlling behavior slash abuse. In the uh, immortal words of Marty McFly, that's heavy. Also, bad things happen to a dog, which sounds like I'm saying this as a, as a joke, but like that is that is a thing that most some people want to be aware of. Yep. It does not pass the uh, dog, does the dog die test. Oh boy. Yeah. So this book with uh, everything that I just said about it is something that I read in elementary school assigned by a teacher. This is the same teacher that assigned hero in the crown. I don't remember if that was fifth or sixth grade at this point, but that's, I was probably around 10 ish. Fortunately for me, <laughs> I, uh, I don't remember any of the bad parts. I, uh, I was really excited to revisit this book because what I remembered was just the interesting stuff. Like, uh, 
the farming and the survival stuff. I, I had just completely forgot about all of the other stuff and maybe some of the stuff I just didn't even internalize. Um, but yeah, um, I, I got, you know, I, I read this around the time when I read Hatchet and things like that in my whole disaster prepper phase. And so all of the stuff about her, like propagating seeds and, and things like that were just super up my alley at the time. Would you say that this is um, like, I know you like post-apocalyptic as a genre. Was this like the first post-apoc thing that you encountered do you think or, or i what? think that it, that might actually be the case i think that's true in terms of books at least i think probably right. i may have ingested some television but it's hard to say yeah I was trying to think of like what the first post-apocalyptic thing that I became aware of was, and I have no idea. I don't know when I encountered that genre for the first time. I think that honestly, if I if I think back, I think that I may have seen like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome before I read this, but I don't have a strong sense of timing on that. Yeah, it's a mystery. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I'm not really sure where to start talking about this because it was so rough to get through. Uh, I, I do find the, the, the survival parts, I thought, I thought they were still pretty interesting about how, you know, she had to like get her tractor going again and stuff like that. But the, the constant and looming threat of an adult man who wants to control everything about your life it was just incredibly frightening and it caused a lot of anxiety. Yeah. On I, my end. I didn't really expect this one to be like a slow burn kind of psychological thriller, maybe. Yeah. I, I would absolutely classify this as like horror. Yeah. Basically. Uh, like, like knowing I, I had heard of this book in the sense that I knew that a book was out there named Z for Zachariah. And that is all I knew, um, about this book. So I had really no, I, I guess, I guess you had mentioned when we started it, that it was post-apocalyptic. So that was, that was the second fact I knew. I knew its title and that it was post-apocalyptic and I didn't expect it to be in the way that it was. Um, I, I wasn't expecting the Hunger Games either, exactly, but certainly for a like younger reader sort of thing, I expected a little more like, you know, she starts out alone, but then bands together with people and things happen. And maybe there is some tension about what to do, but like, I guess I was expecting what I feel like is kind of the traditional um, post-apocalyptic plot arc uh you know where where you have like a 
found community coming together and learning how to rebuild and and coexist um and that is not what happened yeah so i I suppose i'll 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 elaborate a little bit the only two characters in this book that aren't just spoken of in the past tense as having already been already been died yes already died is is simply just Anne and the man who who shows up uh her family all left she's been uh in this valley by herself for almost a year and nobody else shows up in the uh, entirety of this book it is just these two characters and their dynamic um and so just like just to, just to lay it out the guy shows up he was a scientist and he has a like a safe suit uh, which is how he was traversing around looking for you know a place that wasn't irradiated yeah have we mentioned and, uh, the kind of apocalypse this is i i think i said that it was a nuclear event yeah um they weren't very clear about any of like the history of anything they never name who did it. They just said that there was a nuclear event. And then there was also like a lot of nerve gas that had been um, yeah. dispersed. Yeah. And the, and the main, the main immediate threat to our characters is just the radiation in the area. And like some stuff that is so irradiated, like don't drink that water. You'll get sick. Cause it's got a lot of radiation in it. Um, anyhow, yeah. For, for some reason, this Valley is sort of this irregular weather pattern of like, just, not mostly not being affected by the radiation that surrounds it so you have to stay in the valley uh unless you have that safe suit um yeah and we're and we're just sort of left to assume that Anne's family just succumbed to radiation poisoning probably after they left because they just they leave and go where Anne knows that it's not a good place to go. And we never hear from them again. Um, so, because she won't venture out there either. She doesn't have a way to survive. Yeah. Um, and the man comes into the valley and she she just sort of had like bad feelings about him. So she kind of like hid in the woods and didn't make herself be be known for a little while just to sort of like watch and see what he does and before she can sort of stop him and interject he goes and takes a bath in the bad stream that is irradiated and he gets super sick so she reveals herself and like nurses him back to health and this creepy guy just takes that act of kindness and her you know not wanting to make sure that the only other surviving human dies as an invitation to try to solicit some sort of relationship with her. Um, and it's, it's just incredibly, just increasingly grows incredibly more and more uncomfortable where he tries to like control how she does the farming control, what she does. And then eventually it culminates in him attempting to uh, sexually assault her. So she 
escapes and goes and runs off and lives in the woods. But he basically just tries to like snuff her existence out uh, by restricting her access to any of the resources. He finds where she's been hiding and he goes in and burns all of her belongings, presumably in some sort of attempt to get her to like come back. Yeah, to just deprive her of anywhere she can be. be his little, you know, child bride uh, in the apocalypse. And she just does not, not want that. Uh, it, it was just so uncomfortable. Like, pretty early on, she just tries to do some small talk because, like, you know, she's been alone for a year, doesn't super know how to socialize. Besides, this man is in her 30s and she's 15 slash 16. And she just sort of, like, throws out there, like, oh, are you married? Or were you married? And that the 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 subsequent scene is one of the creepiest things where he's just like gets this look in his eye and he's like, oh, I thought you'd get to that. And he just takes that simple, innocent question as the invitation that she obviously like wants him romantically. And then he tries to initiate physical contact and it's just super gross. And I don't know what woman or AFAB person doesn't have an experience with a man taking something totally unrelated as a sign that it's like romantic go time. It was just so real. <laughs> but yeah, he insults her. He tries to control everything she does. You know, when she when she doesn't want to get physical with him, he calls her immature and just like over emotional it's like he's in his 30s she is 16 oh my god yeah he very aggressively starts to um moderate how he responds to anything that she does um because when he's when he's still so sick that he can't help uh, or he can't do anything for himself he's a little more um positive about when she does things like you know keeps the chickens or or has a vegetable garden and stuff but like once he is sure that he's not going to die of the radiation poisoning then it it just shifts to no matter what she does he finds fault in the way that she did it um often on the basis that it's not like forward thinking enough um, which of course is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's also, uh, there, okay, no, so there, there are those two characters, but there's also a dog, which was her brother's dog. Um, and in, in one of just another, one of the completely horrifying scenes, uh, he ties up the dog to a leash. And usually this is like a, a free range out outdoor dog he he leashes the dog and uses it as a bloodhound to find her so he just uses her own dog against her to find her find where she's hiding in the woods Ugh, it was it was a lot um thankfully you know i don't remember any of that stuff so when i was 10 or whatever age i read this I didn't have the life experience yet to, I guess, understand how terrifying 
being alone with an older man who wants to control you is. Unfortunately, now I do have that life experience, and holy crap, it was hard to read. Yeah, it seemed like a how'd lot. You, uh, how'd you, um, how'd you get through it? Um, I mean, I don't have the personal life experience to make that kind of thing feel like something that I personally have experienced with or that harkens back to some uh, traumatic experience of my own. Um, certainly, I have heard many people talk about experiences like this and i can appreciate how it is a thing that is uncomfortable uh very uncomfortable in a way that i just don't personally experience um i was surprised how dark it went uh i was I was definitely curious at certain junctures how old you were when this happened or when this uh, book came <laughs> into your life. Cause you know, I didn't expect it to be a happy book, right? Post-apocalyptic is not a genre that is full of happy books generally. Um, but I didn't expect it to go quite so hard, I guess. I, you know, my strong memories of, of the book were, I think I just thought that there was a lot more of the book devoted to her planning out, uh, how to farm. <laughs> Cause that, that was the stuff that was like really in my head. Um, I, I vaguely remembered that she ran away from the guy, but I thought for some reason that it was because she found out, oh, right. We're missing something. So there's a plot point where when he's sick he does a lot of like yelling out to the ether and she realizes through context clues and the things that he says that uh he actually shot the person that was originally wearing the suit took the suit and left uh so he's already established to be a murderer it seems like they were both part of the team that made the safe suit it's not like loomis found a guy wandering around with a safe suit murdered him and took it just like without some prior thing. But, um, they were in like the government bunker place where this suit was developed, uh, which was fortified enough to not be penetrated by the bombs. Um, and they hung out for a little while hoping that, you know, somebody would show up or contact them or whatever, but that didn't happen. And at a certain point, Edward wanted to go try to find his wife and kid, um, who, being as they were not in a secure bunker, uh, were almost certainly dead. Uh, but they only have the one safe suit. And for Edward to even be able to go look for them, to satisfy his own like sort of need to know what happened to his family. Loomis was just very concerned that Edward wouldn't make it back. And then the one safe suit is just out there somewhere, which is a fair concern. Anyway, Loomis shoots him over it um, because Edward just puts the suit on and tries to leave. Yeah. And, and, when Mr. Loomis is sick, goes to the suit and 
finds you know three patched bullet holes i kind of expecting expected that element to be a point of tension where like Anne isn't sure whether to trust him or not because of this thing but that maybe you know something else would happen and they'd work it out but that's not what happened no i think she's ultimately like pretty understanding she's like okay well this is you know the last person last man alive on earth maybe you know he had to do something kind of awful to survive i'll just let that one go yeah yeah she she deals with it um but of course by then loomis has shown that he is a garbage person in lots of other ways and so the the arc here is not that he has this bad thing that he did for understandable if not right reasons but he's trying to make up for it and it's it's totally not that it's he's just terrible yeah and having that background information that he did shoot somebody for the suit definitely does sort of lend just that much more danger to Anne because it kind of is like you know succumb to the utter control of this man who wants you uh physically or he just might shoot you because he's shot people before and he does shoot her. He shoots her in the ankle, attempting to incapacitate her uh, so that she will be his prisoner, basically. And she does get away. But yeah, he's just awful. And and, and they do both have guns from the get-go. Um, so the, the book does have that element of like, Anne does not want to shoot a person. That's a thing that she always kind of has that barrier for herself. Um, and Loomis has to work up to it to try to shoot Anne because he, it turns out he's not a very good shot, for example, uh, and, and does seem to be genuinely a bit screwed up over having shot and killed Edward. But there was definitely a, I guess there were two Chekhov's guns in this book. Um, you know, the, their respective firearms in play, waiting to see if if they'll use them, which one of them will turn to the, the firearm option first or ever. Um, I, I think naturally, I wanted Anne to shoot him a lot. Shoot him a lot she doesn't do that no which is spoiler alert she doesn't shoot him it's very unfortunate yeah the ending of this book i thought was an interesting decision but i think it's a decision i support narratively um because it doesn't tie it up nice where everybody gets what they deserve um and ultimately steals the safe suit and heads out into the dead area um, in hopes that she will eventually find a place that isn't dead because Loomis isn't leaving her house and they have one final confrontation 
and Loomis threatens to shoot her, but then doesn't. Like he doesn't seem to be sort of he he doesn't seem to work himself up to that, you know. Which in some ways is like it, it's it's a comment on the way in which he is a terrible person because he clearly feels this genuine regret at killing somebody but does not seem to care about any of the things he's trying to do to Anne. He feels this sense of entitlement of her. Like, like, oh, I am the last man possibly in the world. This might be the last woman. Ergo, she's mine. Yeah, it is, it is our imperative now to repopulate the world for the sake of our species. And if she is not into doing that willingly, she's just going to have to do it unwillingly because it has to be done, right? Is kind of the thinking. Yeah. And and even Anne... Well, just to go back to the ending, I, I feel like the ending it was the only way for her to win without killing him because he can't follow her. So it's the only way for her to escape him without having to kill him. Yeah. And in some ways it might be uh, a fate worse than death for him in the moment. Um, Obviously he has a farm that is theoretically going to be able to support him for a while. Uh, By then he has pretty much fully healed from the sickness and so you know will be capable of doing the labor that it takes to do that but one of the things that he clearly has felt very acutely um, prior to finding the valley is that he's been alone for like a year as Anne has but he's been wandering around alone trying to find people and clearly that is like a thing that just he he has a lot of trouble with the loneliness is really torturous and now while he can keep himself alive for probably quite some time uh years likely he's totally alone and other than some chickens and there's no real reason anybody would stumble across him especially because he, as far as he knows, there's only one safe suit in the world. And it is, it, it is in the hands of a person who specifically will not come back here. Uh, so he's just kind of in this purgatory maybe. Yeah. And, and she doesn't want to be alone either. Like her main motivation in leaving is that she wants to find other people who I think, her her life goals were specifically that she like wanted to be a teacher so she was leaving because she wanted to find people to help and teach and and that sort of thing like she didn't want to be alone but she didn't want to be with that guy yeah and she tried a lot to like find a diplomatic solution with him yeah and she was honestly like very willing even you know like she's 15 at the start and she does even talk about because the whole thing is written from the perspective of this being like her journal. Um, And she even says towards the beginning that she's open to the idea of her and this guy 
getting married at some point in the future because she does also understand this concept of we're the last man and the last woman maybe so like getting married is probably something that we will have to do and she seems open to it but then but then he just wants to take it yeah she has those thoughts when he's like still so sick that we haven't really seen any of the darkness but they they disappear as soon as as soon as we're able to see what he thinks of the matter yeah he you know the awkward grabbing her hand thing and then and then the fact that he grabbed her hand before and she like didn't get away from him until like she fell over he used that as an excuse later in just something that was just like so horrifying he tried to inv- initiate physical contact again and he said well you held my hand before and so he does he do you not have like the mental wherewithal to know that like even that small amount of physical contact that you had was forced like what is wrong with him it, it was ugh. yeah but every time she doesn't want to get physical or or whatever like it's schoolgirl, you're childish like you know she's old and old enough that you wanted to you know assault her but when she doesn't want it she's she's a baby it was just so gross he was just such a terrible guy and i throughout much of reading this i was just like i am just shocked and amazed that this book was written by a man because i feel like whoever wrote this like understands but then i found out that the book wasn't written by a man oh do tell i will so (laughs) moving forward this book was ostensibly written by a writer called uh named robert leslie carroll conley who uh, is best known for writing his novels under the name Robert C. O'Brien. He had to use a pen name because he worked for National Geographic and uh, his contract with them forbade him from publishing with any other company. So he made up a pen name and wrote some children's books, uh, namely uh, The Silver Crown and Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, which was a factoid that blew my mind because i had no idea he was associated with the rats of nim uh, i've actually not read the rats of nim I, I know of it and i watched the the cartoon um so he won uh the 1972 newbury medal for uh the rats of nim and um when he won that medal because he was still uh writing in secret his uh, his comments at the you know the presentation of the award were read by his editor so that he could be anonymous. Uh, um, but he died um, in 1973 uh, while he was making notes and writing um, the very beginnings of a book that was intended for adults, which was this. Um, his wife sally uh, conley wrote um that the book was intended to be an adult novel it was definitely a book that was for adults but his publishers you know upon 
upon the you know the fact that he obviously couldn't object because he was dead uh published it as a juvenile work because you know at that point he was you know typecast as a children's author however uh this book was not written it was just sketchy notes so his daughter wrote the book based on his notes so i don't know how much was her and how much was him but i think it's pretty clear that there was a person behind this that had a pretty profound understanding of how threatening men can be i I don't want this episode to be like oh ren hates men you know i and it's it's just that you know there are a lot of very threatening experiences to be had with men sometimes and you gotta like be constantly vigilant and so i it's just it's very clear that somebody with that with that background of knowing how vigilant you have to be in existence around some men yeah anyway yeah i was wondering um as i went because again i have not personally experienced any of the kind of like assault or or harassment that goes on in the book but it still struck me as feeling like maybe it was a bit more knowledgeable than say your average like tv depiction of this kind of stuff or whatever else the case may be so i I, that that fills in some blanks in my brain (laughs) um I definitely don't want to like have this whole discussion be about how how scary it is to be a woman in a post-app land um because there was there was a lot of other like interesting stuff in there um particularly about the you know like the science of radiation there's a section where she is talking about wanting to take the safe suit and go to a library and go get some library books and then maybe like set up a sort of like detox zone for the books so that they can cool off from their radiation so that she can eventually have books uh and things like that and then uh you know when he takes a bath in the in the bad water there's conversation about uh you know, the science behind what is about to happen to his body from getting radiation poisoning and stuff. And that stuff was all pretty interesting. Yeah, I really dug that. That's the kind of thing that can sometimes really fall by the wayside when you're talking about a, like, a novel that is shorter, maybe because it's targeting a younger audience, is they don't go into some of those details because, you know, they feel like they don't have the word space or they think the kids will get bored or whatever. So I was really pleasantly surprised to find the amount of talk about how radiation functions and how radiation impacts a uh, an ecosystem and stuff like that Um, and how like the cars kind of become basically microwave ovens of radiation that you should not get in Uh, so that was all pretty cool um in, in you know in as much as a nuclear wasteland is cool incidentally 
we're recording this not very far removed from all of the chatter about like Putin changing the way that Russia is going to pay attention to nuclear proliferation uh, treaties. So it felt a little real. You know, as you said before, this book does not tell us who the enemy was, but it was in the 70s. So I think the like logical assumption, because co the Cold War, uh, what would be the USSR? Um, but but yeah, there was a little bit of like, I don't, I don't approve of Putin like keeping track of my reading habits and then doing things to freak me out. <laughs> Yes, you are absolutely on, on Putin's watch list. Yeah. He cares very deeply what this little podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, we're thinks about Putin's favorite podcast, I'm sure. Oh, my God. That's what we should put in the podcast trailer. We're 110% absolutely definitely Putin's favorite podcast. Yeah, we just, uh, you know, get a photo of Putin, Photoshop, uh, mixed up files into his hands. And like a smile on his face, which I think has to be photoshopped also <laughs> because I don't think he ever smiles. I think he's incapable of it. Yeah, this is great. wrong with us. <laughs> oh, golly. Um, yeah, she says something really interesting too at some point in the book where she's like, the store is an illusion. Uh, because, so let me let me back up. The, the layout of this valley is that there's her house and her farm and a church and a general store with an apartment above it. And that's it. But the store has all this canned goods and seeds and things like that. So she, she says, you know, the store is an illusion because a lot of these goods are going to expire. So I need to start thinking about taking these seeds and turning them into you know, future seeds, because seeds also expire. Of course. Well, I have some other little, little factoids about about Z for Zachariah. Originally, uh, back in 2013, they were in talks to make a uh, a movie version of this starring none other than Tobey Maguire. Um, Your silence is... As Loomis? Probably, yes. Okay. I, I had to and, wait a beat to be like, are you are you telling me that they were going to like gender flop it? No, nope. Toby Maguire's goofy little side smirk as Loomis. That didn't happen, obviously. I don't know. I could see it. I but they did it. something later in 2015, which was way worse. Right. They made a movie. Yeah. I didn't realize they made a movie, but they did. I'm just, I'm just going to read you the synopsis. Yeah, hit me. From IMDb. Yeah. Z for Zachariah, 2015. In the wake of a disaster that wipes out most of civilization, two men and a young woman find themselves in an emotionally charged love triangle as the last dot dot dot. Is 
the other man, Zachariah. <laughs> Uh, I went and I watched the trailer um, and it looks like what they do is they've aged up Anne because you have to, if you're going to make it a love triangle because she's 15. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, say that four more times, Uh, they age up Anne and Loomis shows up and he is just this nice guy. He's played by, Oh, I forgot. Um, I like him. He's the guy that, um, I can't remember his name. Anyway, he looks nice. They look like they're about to have like a nice little happy, happily ever after in the apocalypse. And then Chris Pine shows up. And he's all hot and smoldery. And Anne is all tempted away from nice Mr. Loomis by this smoldery guy who. Uh, it looks like in the trailer, just kind of like gives nice guy mr loomis like a knowing i'm about to steal your woman but i'm actually a bad guy yeah uh glance it just looks like a like a horrible mess yeah that does sound that does sound not like the book like i understand why why hollywood would be reticent to adapt this book especially faithfully because you know, actually having an underage character be the subject of a lot of this kind of action, and especially if you cast an actual teenage girl, that might not fly, right? I understand why they wouldn't necessarily adapt it super faithfully, but that just sounds like it's a different thing that somebody wrote and then Mm -hmm. they got like the license to use this title. So there is no, there is no Zachariah. Incidentally, the title comes from and recalling a, uh, it was like a Bible book when, that she read when she was a kid that started with like, a is for Adam B is for, I don't know, Bible or whatever. Um, and she mentions just sort of offhand that when she was a kid, she thought that because a is for Adam, Adam being the first man that Z is for Zachariah means Zachariah must be the last man. Uh, so it was just like a cute, cute little, like actually the last man is a murdery gross jerk named Mr. Loomis, but that's okay. Yeah. I, I just, of course, although as I said, not knowing anything really about the book, when I started, I assumed that there was going to be a Zachariah somewhere <laughs> until I got to that part. And then I was like, oh, there's no Zachariah in this book. It's a yeah. metaphor. As I do when I when I read these these books and try to do the research for them, I go and I, you know, I look for other reviews and other things people have said. And if, you know, there's enough of a fandom to, you know, have like other content on the Internet. I did find a really interesting website that had um, sort of like a mock-up of what the valley probably looked like uh, and like a map of the valley according to, you know, using all the descriptions in the book as to like where the valley probably is geographically. Yeah, there are a lot of descriptions about the direction things are and stuff like that. 
like where in America this this might be, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I'm not actually going to link to this map. You can find it if you find it yourself if you want to, uh, because uh, the author of this map uh, has a whole like treatise about why this book is a case of an unreliable narrator and that Mr. Loomis is just misunderstood by a uh, self-centered and immature teenager who makes no effort to understand where Mr. Loomis is coming from. And then I was like, yep, that I don't care what you think. That sure is a take. That sure is a take. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you can find that take online if you really care to. I was excited about the maps. Do you think you would have enjoyed this if you read it when you were 10? Uh, I was thinking about this as I went. Because I did like sci-fi. And while post-apoc of this sort is not like in the same category of sci-fi as something like, uh, you know, the robots series. I think that part might have intrigued me a little bit. I, I think ultimately it would have been like too slow burn for me as a kid. Um, because for one thing, when, when I was 10, I am reasonably certain that I wouldn't really understand the like depth of the threat that Loomis presents. Not in a, like, I think he was a cool guy sort of way. Just, I think I would be missing a certain amount of emotional context to make that form a powerful crux of the book. Um, and And I don't think, like, the... more survival kind of stuff would have necessarily drawn me in a ton to a lot of the other things that were happening. So I think I would have been pretty lukewarm on it. I did also think about why I read the books that I read as a kid and something that I think I have realized is when you set aside books that I'm assigned uh, and thus have to read, and books that I have recommended to me, I pay a lot of attention to titles, or did as a kid. I keep talking in like the present tense as if I still do this, and I don't. But as a kid, I paid a lot of attention to titles, especially because, you know, sometimes all you had to go on was like the book fair catalog or whatever. And you just had to kind of make make decisions based upon very little uh, material, including not being able to like hold the book and open it. Um, but I think that I tended to avoid books with names as titles because I just kind of I think I took titles too literally generally. So I think I would often look at things like this and be like, Z for Zachariah, 
that's just about a guy named Zachariah. How interesting can it be? You know, <laughs> like, um, or or if it was something like if if it was named after an object that was just kind of a thing that didn't sound all that interesting to me, um, like, you know. I eventually did have to read To Kill a Mockingbird for for class, for example, and I really loved To Kill a Mockingbird, but I knew about it many years prior, just because you know it's a staple of American literature. And until I was assigned to read it, I never had any interest because I was just like, I don't care about mocking. Like, how hard could it be to kill a mockingbird? I don't, I don't care. Like, this doesn't sound like an exciting adventure. <laughs> um, well, mockingbirds are really annoying, so I can see, you know. Yeah, but do you need a whole book about it? So yeah, I, I think that this is kind of just kind of the side observation, but I really needed the title to tell me a thing that was happening, or or maybe an interesting thing that was like the linchpin of the book like if it was a uh you know if it was named after like a magical object or something like that that sounded really really intriguing uh then then maybe um you know or like an event events help also like narnia I was like, I'm not going to read The Silver Chair. That sounds stupid. I'm going to read The Last Battle, though, because that's a battle, and it's the last one. So, I have a discussion question for you. Hmm. One of the things that Anne wishes for most is to borrow the safe suit to go out of the valley and retrieve library books. You know, she has that plan for how to isolate the books until they're safe to touch, etc., etc., which books would you go out into the atomic wasteland to go get? Am I in the seventies or am I in like hypothetically today? Let's put some restrictions on it. Yeah. You're in the seventies. Mm. You're, you're in Anne's situation. You got a safe suit. What are you going to risk going out into the atomic wasteland to go get in 1974? Uh, well, a lot of Asimov and Clark would have been, written already um i'm not sure if foundation would have been written but a lot of the robot stuff would have been not the last novel but um it probably would have been a lot of asimov uh clark and heinlein sadly <laughs> and i and i feel different different degrees of hug uh about that list <laughs> um but yeah it would probably be like you gotta give me some starship troopers uh and and you know what heck let's let's throw in time enough for love just so that i can be scandalized on occasion by what is in this freaking book i actually don't know if that was i i, I think i don't know when heinlein died I, I that probably would have been published by 1974 uh but uh yeah arthur c clark i think maybe the rendezvous with rama might have been around there would be some good clark stuff in there it, yeah it would have been a lot of like classic sci-fi oh um i'd have to check publication dates but uh some Le Guin as well like definitely as much earthy stuff as was around i th i think by 74 maybe 
the first three Earthsea novels would have been around. I don't think Teanu was until a good deal later. But I think the farthest shore might have been. Anyway. Those are books that, you know, tell tell complete stories in the books though. So even though there is a series, it's not like it wouldn't be like a, a cliffhanger forever unresolved if they'd only had, say, like the first two books. <sighs> well, time for the peaches. Here on My Dog Ate My Book Report, we decided arbitrarily a year ago, we've been recording this for over a year at this point, that our rating system is going to be based on giant peaches. How many out of five giant peaches we give a book because we both really liked James and the Giant Peach. And good golly, we are also in a time where there has been some raw doll discourse. So I can assure you on the docket, I think I think we're going to do maybe episode 25. We're going to go and reread James and the Giant Peach together. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we're all doll discourse. We've got to get in on that. Yeah. Also, we should probably analyze what we're rating all of our stuff on. Anyway, how many out of five giant peaches do you give Z4 Zachariah? I think I'm going to say like a three and a half, maybe. That's fair. I, I'm struggling with this myself because I don't think it was a bad book. Yeah. It made me incredibly uncomfortable, but I think that kind of speaks to how true and yeah powerful that was is it is it uh, uncomfortable because that's what the author wants you to feel or is it uncomfortable because the author is careless right i don't think the author is careless yeah no I not think. in this case it's just that i feel like that's the continuum of like book uncomfortableness yeah i'm kind of with you i don't i don't want to start playing the game of like oh yeah same thing but i think 3.5 is where where it feels yeah right. Yeah, I I think I liked it better than I would if I had read it as a kid, for sure. Um, but, you know, for me, I, I wished a little more happened in it sometimes, um, even though I think part of its strength is that it's relatively minimal. And, and uh, I guess the other thing is that the... If I am nitpicking, the conceit of the book being Anne's journal didn't super hold up at some parts for me where it kind of felt like it was a little too like why would she write this this way like this it has to say this because it's a book but like the immersion of the idea that this is Anne's journal and it's diegetic to some degree kind of broke in some places and you know if you're going to give me a book that says it's a journal of somebody I like, if that feels true throughout, right? Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. I, I don't feel like the, I don't know. I don't feel like it lost the magic or whatever for me. It just, it gained some trauma. <laughs> I don't know. The parts that I liked were still there. Uh, yeah. 
our next pick is going to be from you. Yeah. What have you selected? Entirely by accident, I selected a book that I read as a kid that has some dark stuff in it that I have no recollection of. <laughs> it's The Egypt Game by Zilpha Keatley Snyder, a book that I've been afraid to revisit because I've never read it again. Uh, I read it in like third grade, maybe fourth grade. And never looked back, never so much as Googled it to like see if my memory was remotely accurate. Um, mm. And as you might expect, a book called The Egypt Game throws up some red flags today that maybe it didn't throw up in the 90s. So, mm. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's from the 60s, but I would have read it in the 90s. Yeah. And also, yes, there is some stuff in it that I'm like, whoa, I didn't remember this at all. <laughs> Well, I'm excited. So that's that's an episode, I think. It sure is. We read a book. I don't think I'm going to read it again. I think I, I think it's going in the. This book is going to the little free library pile. Yeah. I've I've read it. I've I've consumed it. I don't need to put myself through that again. But it's not a bad book. I just self-preservation <laughs> there's plenty of great books that you don't want to read a second time i'm i'm definitely that that's fine for me it's not a bad book just if if, if you don't i uh i of course have it on kindle so i can't do anything with it but that's fine i did open my <laughs> kindle version realize so normally i make notes as i go using the kindle apps you know note feature um for these conversations for whatever reason and i don't really know why um, I did not make very many notes in, in this. In fact, I made no notes in this book, and I only highlighted one sentence. Do you want to know what that sentence was? Yeah, yeah, I'm waiting here. I'm, this is I'm a lot of anticipation. My half chicken was still in its cranny. I don't even remember what part you're talking about. Uh, it was right after. Oh, it's when she's checking out her cave hideaway after Loomis has burned it. Oh, and she's going, right. she's going through all the stuff that he destroyed, but she finds a few things that he didn't realize were there, including a half chicken that was still in its cranny, apparently. And I didn't, I didn't leave a note that, well, usually when I highlight something in these books, um, I leave a note with the highlight, um, and, and unless it's just like self-evident why I would have highlighted it, but I left no note. I am almost certain that I, that I highlighted this sentence because I think it is the only time that I've ever encountered the word cranny used without the word nook. Oh, yeah. And it just kind of like hit me like, oh. I guess that is a word. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yep. Anyway. Well, uh, with a, that. That's the half peach is, is that sentence. <laughs> that's the half peach from the cranny. Yeah. My Dog Ate My Book Report is hosted and produced by Ren and Brandon and edited by Derek Thalen and Daisy McNamara. 
The music used in this podcast was licensed by Epidemic Sound. Transcripts were generated by otter.ai. Our icon image was illustrated by Cindy Lau. Have a question or comment for the team? You can find us on our website, which links to all of our socials at dog8mybookreport.blueberry.net. Blueberry without the E's. Or by emailing at dog8mybookreport at gmail.com. We'd be super... <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we'd be super excited to know what books you loved growing up. Thanks for or listening. Books you oh, yeah. never want to reread. Books you, you remember that you don't want to reread, but you're kind of glad you read them, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> There's plenty that I know I don't want to reread that I... It's for totally bad reasons. If I ever have to read <laughs> Tale of Two Cities again, it will be too soon. I've never read that. I, I have read more Dickens than I want, which is to say I've read some Dickens. Do not like Dickens. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Word. Thanks for listening.